This is Tamika Kasten Miller with Think Flow Grow Podcast Live. Um, Think Flow Grow is a podcast that's centered on how we are able to use history and ancient yogic philosophy to inform how we think today. And with all of this knowledge that we have, um, Think Flow Grow and I endeavor to provide some context in this 21st century informed by thoughts from previous centuries. Also, um, I'm super curious about the about how things are today, um, how we are able to cultivate compassion in the world. And so I'm also doing that with Ashe Yoga and Wellness at The Ranch Houston, which is in Houston, Texas, where we connect art, food, yoga, and, and community all in one place to um, come back to our authentic, loving selves. With me today, I have Kim Pence, who has joined me. Kim Pence is the, the creator of the Kindness Sanctuary, which is a, currently an online community going beyond borders to create and elevate kindness in the world. Kim Pence is an energy healer um, currently located in Houston, Texas, but available worldwide. She um, is deeply involved in the um, healing of people all around the world or helping guide themselves back to themselves, midwifing their true selves back to themselves, uh, higher consciousness to them. Kim Pence is also a member of the Ashe Yoga faculty um, who focuses on things like pranayama or breath work and also energy work as uh, part of one of the amazing therapies that we offer at Ashe Yoga and Wellness located at the Ranch Houston. So welcome, welcome, Kim Pence. How are you today? Hi, Tamika. I'm doing fantastic. I'm so, so glad that you're here because we're going to talk about um, one of my favorite topics, which is cults. And we're also going to talk about the thing that you don't talk about at Thanksgiving, which is religion. <laughs> and where is the difference? There are a few questions that we're going to talk about today, which are, when does a cult become a cult? What is the difference between a cult and a mainline religion? Um, and how do conscious communities become insidious and parasitic? Trigger alert <laughs> or trigger warning. <laughs> this may not be your favorite conversation because it might actually, we might step on your favorite group and you might realize that there might be some cultish things about it. <laughs> So let's just all take a deep breath because we might have some things that are less than fun for some of us to talk about. All right. Did everyone take a deep breath with me? Take a deep breath. All right. Let's, let's get into it. <laughs> All right. So, and if at any time you guys cannot hear me, you guys just let me know because it does do some kind of weird things every now and then. Okay. So 
we are um, talking about cults and um, and cultish behavior as well. Um, Kim, when you hear the word cult, what do you think? What I really think about, I think about a couple of things. Uh, it, it takes me back to um, Guyana and some very famous um, Waco, Texas and um, Jim Jones and um, some very famous cults that we've that we know about in our history as a, a culture. But what I really, really think about is um, control over mm. versus empowering inner authority. So Kim is very, very lovely, a very compassionate soul. And Kim is always going to be, not always maybe, but Kim is likely going to be the higher vibration person on this episode today. <laughs> I just want to let everyone know now that, <laughs> that um, I carry, I have one of the unpopular opinions about cults. So <laughs> my unpopular opinion about cults is that they are not necessarily bad or they are not inherently bad. Um, I think that they can be bad, but I think that anything can be bad um, or good. <clears throat> and certainly the tantric yogis would say anything in life can be a blessing or a poison. And so the question for me uh, has uh, you know, and this is someone who grew up, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And so I remember Heaven's Gate. I remember the Branch Davidians. Um, I remember all of these things happening. And I and I still have the, the feelings that I have on them. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to, um, let's get to some definitions. And then we'll get to some opinions. And hopefully a few of you guys who are listening will call in and give um, and give uh, your opinions. Just a couple of comments that have come in so far are that um, Katie says she would love to learn if she's in a cult. And <laughs> for some reason, it seems very calming. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I mean, is it possible that you are in a cult? We're gonna find out. So let's just first define what a cult is. Um, <laughs> a cult is according to the Oxford, or to, to actually I got several dictionaries for this. The first commonly accepted definition for a cult is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. So this was the very first definition that came up across dictionaries is, is identifying a cult as a system and a system of religious veneration and devotion. What was really interesting to me is that it didn't stop there, but continued by saying directed toward a particular figure or object. So if we look at just that definition, then we can begin to get a little uncomfortable because 
probably, at least if we're aware, we know that we have venerated or devoted ourselves to a particular person, place, or thing. So <clears throat> it makes sense that people will use something like love is my religion, right? Or, um, but according to this, love is also your cult. <laughs> the other two lesser definitions were um, a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Of course, an example of this are like the Satan worshiping cults. I think it's interesting that, um, well, I'll go to the other definition and then I'll pontificate. But <laughs> the other de definition is a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. So this is where we get that definition of a cult of personality, right? So when we are just looking at the definition of cults, for me, I immediately jumped jump to religion, period. I, I immediately jumped to religion and I immediately see very few differences between religion and cults. Um, Sober Mike is back with us this week and he says cults sell freedom and enlightenment but deliver control using a Ponzi scheme. Oh my gosh, I love, I absolutely love your, um, your um, metaphor of the Ponzi scheme. Wow, that's, that's, those, are, those are really interesting words. Um, yeah, and that can definitely be um, something that's super problematic when we start really defining like what cults actually look like and are according to um, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, and according to um, uh, comparative religious studies. When we look at a religion defined, um, we are looking at the definition of a religion is the belief in and the worship of, this was the first definition. It was the belief in and the worship of a superhuman controlling power. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Um, it is the belief in or the worship of a superhuman, superhuman controlling power, especially a, uh, a personal um, god or gods. So that was the very first definition of religion defined. Um, and then, and then after that, it is again we use this term system a particular system of faith and worship. And then the next one was a, um, a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. So we can, we can tell right now there are some, there are some connections between um, cults and religion. And as a historian, I have very, very specific thoughts on this. I'm wondering if um, Kim, Kim is back with us and if Kim can hear you. She got kicked off for a moment there. Yeah, I'm back. There we go. Cool. 
So before I go into an etymological or an, you know, just like the, the, the history of the words and all those things and all of that, um, tell me how you see the difference between a cult and a religion. Oh gosh, you know that it's such a fine line, and you know, in a lot of the definitions that you have given, um, that are sort of the accepted um, uh, definitions of these words, because you know we're we're really talking about semantics. Mm -hmm. I, in my view, I believe that they're all the same thing, and um, occult devotion is what we're talking about, and. Mm -hmm. What are you devoted to? Are you devoted to an idea? Are you devoted to a place, as, you know, such as the synagogue or the chapel um, or the cathedral um, or the mosque um, or the or the the shala or the you know or and and so you can be devoted to a place as but, but beyond as, devotion, it's also veneration. You yes, know, putting and, something and, on that pedestal. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that um, they really, there's really no difference between a cult and a religion from that, that point of view. Yeah. From, from those definitions. Um, then we have to go into, um, into the sort of slang of the etymology and yeah. look, at it, look at it from those, that perspective. Yeah, and I think that there's a point in which we have to realize that cult is is really a term that is used in a pejorative sense to define something that 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 the person who's doing the def defining is otherizing. Really, I mean, yep. at the at ultimately the the so so just to to go back into the etymology of the term. When we look at the, the word religion, for example, we first start seeing definitions of, of the term or the use of the term um, religio in the Latin from Cicero, who um, was, uh, who used, who defined religion as cultum deorum, which is from, derived from the word cult, or the word cult is derived from, from that. And this cultum deorum is, is, is essentially the veneration of the gods. Um, or the uh, the proper performance of rites in veneration of the gods. So there is a performance of something, or there's an act of something, and then it is in veneration to the gods, and it is out of devotion. Um, but what's interesting is in Cicero's definition, or Cicero's initial use of this term, we're seeing... Um, we're, we're seeing a, a very uh, performance and veneration, or an adoration, and an adulation, if you will. So like essentially just putting something on a pedestal, we're seeing that as, as the, the performance of things that put something on a pedestal in layman's terms. And we're not seeing it initially defined as out of devotion is simply that. And, it, and he just kind of strips that devotion question out of, out of the whole, out of the whole thing. Um, it is, uh, it is also, uh, interesting that both the words cult and culture come from the same Latin root. Um, they both come from the root that, that means cultivate. Cultivate also comes from this root, obviously. 
And, um, and Katie is chiming in right now with cult is a collective culture. Religion is a generational collective culture with spiritual and moral system. We're actually going to speak to that, Katie. Um, the, and thank you for that, for sure. Like when we're looking at um, a cult, we're certainly oriented it to a culture. They're both derived from the same Latin root, colere. And which means to tend or to cultivate, and um, and if we look at the culture that um, uh, if we look at the word culture, we're also looking at um, uh, the the fostering of growth of something, right? Like we we culture. Um, we we cultivate fruits. We cultivate. We harvest things. There's a there's a harvest at the end of it. So it makes sense that in a cult there would be kind of an end game to it because it comes from the same mental structure as cultivate. So there's this, there's an end game where you don't just plant a seed to and walk away from it. You plant the seed with the hope that so there's going to be a harvest of something later. And the very word that is at the root word of culture and cult both have that same um, that same um, that same connection. So when we're looking now, that's the etymology of culture. Or I'm sorry, of cult. When we're looking at the etymology of religion, and we're looking at it as this performance of rites and veneration to the gods, we can see that when we put um, uh, religion and culture together create a religious culture, then it becomes this group veneration towards a particular thing and devotion. And, um, and so, and it's, it's really interesting to note that, um, that cult, um, uh, that, that term cult that we use today was actually came out of the, the 17th century when people were really, when the, the humanist movement was really taking off and people were looking at, you know, how um, religion had essentially, you know, dominated uh, uh, people's worlds. Like we have this, this emperor, we have this king because God has deemed it. And humanists came out and they're like, nah, uh, I don't think God chose that king. I think that you chose that king or you chose that queen. And so all of a sudden, um, people, this humanistic um, perspective came out and out of, out of this, which of course also um, turned into revolutions later, um, starting with the French Revolution, um, then you, you actually have um, this same concept coming out like, no, that is, this is, this, this cult is just you guys following a certain thing, but it's not necessarily um, something that is truth or inherently true, because um, we do have, you know, humanism happening um, around the same time when this word is developed. So um, interesting too, when we look at, and Kim, I'm just going off on my nerdiness, so feel free to interrupt at any time. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> as a, as a, it's it's really interesting being a linguist and looking at the the cult, the the roots of words because they tell us a lot about how words have changed over time. Like what you were saying about um, coming into the slang interpretations of it uh -huh. versus how they began. And when we look at even the word, um, the, 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 the colere, that, that word as well, when we look at cultivate, 
we're also looking at protecting. So if you think about if you, you know, plant your tomatoes and uh, your tomato seeds and then a storm is coming in, you're going to go protect it. And so it would seem it seems very um, natural to me that we would want to protect a culture that we are creating, particularly if that culture is venerating something that we find important. So the distance between um, um, cult and religion to me is time. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> how, how much time do you need for this to um, turn into, from, from one thing to another thing, it's just enough people buying into it. <laughs> wow, that's such a, I love that analysis of the, the origins of, and the etymological um, origins of these two words. And you're like, you're watching that, that time pass between the origins of these two words and seeing that intersection, that time is the the only difference between these two terms that we use. It is, you know, because yeah. with, with time where you're going to gain more believers, right? With time, exactly. there are more people who join in time, uh, truth, truth, test time or time test truth, you know, is I'm bastardizing that edict, but there's that, that happened, you know, um, the, the test of time we say all the time. So time really for me is, is just, is the only difference. And so then when we, so then I think it's really important to then go back to that second definition of cults, which is it's a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Mm -hmm. So you know, that, that makes me think about um, particular offshoots or, or um, smaller types of worship. Um, mm -hmm. that makes me think of Wiccanism or, yes. you know, some of the other, um, you know, considered to be um, not acceptable to, to most, almost everyone, except for the people involved in the culture. Right. And, and it oftentimes starts with some sort of revolution against or some sort of um, ask to reconsider or reform something. I mean, if we look at um, if we look at the, the beginnings of, of some of the cults, they were they were out of they're a fundamentalist or a their fundamentalist arm of something that is accepted. And so because they're that fundamentalist arm, they're saying, no, look, this needs to be reformed. So if that's the case, then that means that the entire Lutheran church and the entire Protestant church is, is a cult, um, <laughs> you know, under, because Martin Luther said, no, what, this, what the Catholic church is doing is wrong and it needs reform. And the, and that is, and that is why people were, we're so against Martin Luther for so long because he was against the 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 majority and saying no this this is this is not right you know and um, to that end he just decided to start his own movement and that movement was an offshoot of a bigger movement it was a small movement so how how is that 
not a cult. I mean, and and yeah, there's that. There are comments that are that are coming in from the um, from the audience, which is um, cults rely on herd mentality, the human desire to belong to something greater than than oneself. Um, I don't, I don't know that I call that. I don't know that I would call that herd mentality. I think that just call, I think I would just call that the fundamental desire to be a part of, um, something bigger than yourself, uh, and the fundamental desire to be a part of, um, of, of a group. Um, no, no, that, that, that is the most fundamental human desire. That is something that has helped us survive is by being a part of a group. There are no single singletons in the history of the world that were able to survive attacks and uh, by animals and other tribes and things like that when they went off their on their own. This is also why indigenous groups oftentimes would would um, even kill their their um, or put out of misery their their weak ones or their hurt ones because it would put everyone in danger. The group then made more of a, uh, that was the more important thing than the, than the single person. So when we're talking about, you know, a fundamental, when we're talking about the desire for people to be a part of a group, that's, that's absolute human nature. <laughs> I mean, so it's not just religions dictating that. However, it could help propagate religion and that Mike I will agree but it, it's it's certainly not something that is that's specific to religion well Tamika I wanted to to kind of um, bolster your argument about time because if we look if we take your example of of um, Lutheranism um, and having had that split off from the accepted um, cultural hub that of the the church or the religion of the time and and so this group of of individuals splits off therefore it's a smaller group it is then we can term it a cult under the definition that you've given mm -hmm. and we can see how that cult of luther uh became the religion of Lutheran. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, I wouldn't call it a religion, but for sure a, a branch of Christianity, yes. But like, yes, absolutely. I mean, people began to say, well, Luther has a point and it, and, and it has his name. Of you know, so just like uh, if we look at some of the the others, they have the person's name because they're venerating that person. Uh -huh. So so and and actually to your point, Kim, um, one could argue that Lutheranism is its own religion because people have venerated a a person as as the one who knows all the stuff. Uh -huh. I think that the only. <laughs> and just like Marianism and the Catholic Church and venerating uh, Mary um, uh, and Dominicans, you know, not not the country or the people, but <laughs> but the the religious groups that have utilized um, an actual quote saint, and I'll put saint in quotes um, for the benefit of the of of respect for all people. Um, 
but have used um, uh, a saint's name in order to wrap a whole perspective around around something. Um, when it comes to, I, I wanted to give just a couple of more interesting historical things so that we have, before we go into some of the most interesting and crazy cults um, that, um, that have influenced people and in the way that we think about cults right now. Before we do that, I wanted to also just mention a few more things um, that are also definitions um, so that we can start to peel away our own preconceived beliefs around cults um, and we can start to actually address cults from a non-pejorative perspective. So um, the another um, uh, uh, definition that, that was found through Oxford is from the term religionem, which is the um, plural, which uh, just simply means respect for what is sacred, um, reverence for the gods, sense of right, moral obligation, sanctity. Notice how when we're talking about religion, there's sacred, respect, reverence, morality, all these things. Um, there's also a combination uh, or another a sub uh, definition that is obligation or the bond between man and the gods. I think that it's really interesting that the term obligation is actually used in the definition within religionum, which is talking about religions. I was also today years old when I realized that the word Lego um, <laughs> is actually a Latin word um, that um, that just simply means a, a sense of uh, of choice or to, to or to to choose over and over again and to consider carefully. And Lego is that is the bit that's in the the legio part of religion. Um, Interestingly, Julius Caesar used religio to mean an obligation of oath when he was talking, when he captured, um, when he was talking about the, the capturing of soldiers and, and making an oath to their captors. So, um, you know, it, it makes sense that, um, that we would have such a veneration or such an adoration for Julius Caesar as well, because he was very, he very much was creating a cult of personality around himself. And of course, others did that as well. But when we come into the modern context, Joseph Campbell, um, who is a, a very um, a famous uh, theologian and philosopher who um, in the 20th century, um, he, uh, he liked to think about religion as a binding or a connection. Um, so he, he, he chose to go more with that with the, the ligare, which is also in, inside of that word. Um, so ligare and ligar in Spanish uh, is also to connect or to bind. So he was using this, this connection as well. So these are just these interesting um, ways of looking at both the words religion and cult from just a basic, point of view, instead of like putting all of our framework on top of that word, like what 
what did they are those words what did they originally what did they originally mean and to that end if we look at if we look at christianity we know that christianity was considered a cult by both jews and romans um islam was considered a cult by medieval christians <laughs> and the baptists um were uh, the quakers were considered a cult from the baptists and the baptists were considered a cult for a while and oh my goodness i mean it just goes it just goes all over the place so the, you know like all of these people are like oh well you're you're weird and you're on the margins and we don't think like you so you're a cult <laughs> so but the truth is is that both all christianity islam buddhism and judaism if we look at the definition, we're all cults when they began. And, you know, and you're welcome to call in and argue that point if you, if you, or comment and argue that point. But if you're looking at what the definition is, they were all cults when they began. And um, Sam um, Fleischacker, who's a professor of philosophy at the University of Chicago, Illinois said, the real difference between a cult and religion is about a hundred years. <laughs> You have to be able to have had several generations. And once you have it a generation, it gets to be called a religion to Katie's point. So Katie, I knew we would come back around to you. Um, there is a comment from uh, our audience. Um, she's going by Herbal Society, but I bet your name is something else. Feel free to tell me your actual name. Um, and she said, to be honest, I feel that it is still perceived uh, as a cult, which a religion, organized religion is what I uh, imagine uh, you're saying. So yeah, I think cult is definitely just, it's uh, your perspective. Any other thoughts from you, Kim, before we start looking at some of these interesting, this is where the, it gets really juicy and interesting. <laughs> Ooh, let's dive into the juice and interest. All right. Well, um, we first um, will go with some famous cults. I invite you guys to tell me um, your uh, most interesting cults. And of course, cults have become a really big um, thing to think about because we've recently had, I mean, everyone's at home Netflixing and chilling. And so we've had a few great shows or mini series, docu-series come out on cults. So a lot of people are talking about cults right now. And um, the, I don't know, which would you say is the worst in history, Kim? Oh, God. Wait, 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 no, wait, let's not go with the worst. Let's not go okay. with the worst yet. Okay. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's go with the most popular. The most popular cult that's not considered a religion is the Manson family. I mean, that is probably, yes, the, I would say the most famous in our, in our era. Well, I think it depends on your era, in your era. And I think it also depends on I think it also depends on um, if you're calling them bad or good. I think that there's actually like a pop culture around the Manson family, oh, and wow. I think and I think that that has is why it has it is so known because uh -huh. people are like, 
oh, the Manson family. And uh, I mean, there it's been depicted in films. Um, Quentin Tarantino uses mm -hmm. the Mansons as one of his, the Manson family as one of his structures in one of his movies. So in case you are seven, um, I will <laughs> just a little <laughs> bit of knowledge on the Manson family. In the late 60s, I want to say it was 68, Charles Manson brought together a group of displaced young people and called them his family. They settled in Spawn Ranch, a sprawling former movie studio near L.A., where drugs were free-flowing and mandatory orgies were enforced. And Manson pushed his ideas about an imminent race war. Um, he told his followers that he wanted them to go on a killing spree. And on August 8th of 1969, we know 1969 is the summer of love, a few members of the cult headed to Beverly Hills home and murdered five people, including famously actress Sharon Tate. They wrote the word pig in Tate's blood on the door. The violence continued the next night when Rosemary and Lino LaBianca were murdered in their Las Vegas home uh, by Manson's followers on his orders. Rosemary was stabbed 14 times, Man and Manson ended up being convicted of first-degree murder in 1971. He served out his prison sentence until he died in November of 2017. And what's crazy, what is crazy about this is that his followers ended up being able to claim uh, brainwashing to essentially escape his same fate of death penalty. They're like, well, we were we were brainwashed, and that's why we killed all the people. And it's like, but you still killed all the people. I mean, is there no is there no like so someone told you to do it and you did it, so you're you're fine anyway. So so yes, so we have um we have comments coming in as well. Um, Ooh, yes, we're Forrest, we're about to talk about that one too. In Herbal Society, we're about to talk about that one as well. Um, <laughs> someone is saying that there's a, Forrest is saying, my girlfriend is a part of the Kardashian cult. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah, well, if you guys have listened to my um, uh, the No Place for Old Mark and Juan, No Country for Old Mark and Juan podcast that I was on, you guys will know my loathe for the Kardashians. But anyway, <laughs> find that episode; it's great. Um, all right, Heaven's Gate. So, Kim, do you remember Heaven's Gate when it happened? I do. Um, the one in California where they all like swallowed barbiturates and killed themselves. Yeah. And they, um, it, it was really centered around, um, um, ETs, right. Extraterrestrials mm -hmm. and, and the Ascension, right. This was, mm -hmm. this was, this was sort of the language back then around this cult. And, um, and so here we are today in 2000, 
you know, 2020, and we're talking about this massive ascension process that we're all going through as human beings, and <laughs> yes. and we're talking about the, you know, the conscious ascension into um, being self-aware and be, have being our own inner authority, and you know, that all kind of curves and links back into being disempowered and having your inner authority taken away from you by people who mm-hmm. use the 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 wounded parts of you and the traumatized parts of you against you to control you. Mm -hmm. This is such a huge point that I want to come back to when we start to talk about the distance between a conscious community and a cult, Mm -hmm. because There 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 are people here right now in the city of Houston from which we are recording who I believe are starting a cult. And I and I am seeing it, and and I have always felt something a little weird whenever I've seen them. They're out of the yoga community. I've always felt a little weird um, of people using like yoga as a conduit to this kind of thing that's very that's very um, uh, closed and small. And I'm just like, Mm-mm, cult. I, I see it. I see it happening. Right. Well, we don't have to go far from the yoga philosophy and way (laughs) of life into maybe um, Kundalini Yoga and some of the other branches that have been Mm -hmm. created by individuals who have become venerated by their mm-hmm. followers, blah, blah, blah. So I won't go too, in, too deep into that, but. Well, we will we'll touch just a couple of those because we have, of course, a famous cult that was here in the US that's kind of started in India and moved its way here, which has been popularized by Netflix. But before we go there, Forrest is saying, stretch does not equal spirituality, in my opinion. I agree, and there are others who would disagree. Um, but let's head back to Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. In, 1997, this is not that long ago, mm-hmm. 39 members of Heaven's Gate, a cult started in the early 70s, put on matching dark clothes, swallowed barbiturates, and placed plastic bags around their heads. It was one of the largest mass suicides in the history of the U.S. What's crazy is that this cult was started in the 70s by this um, uh, by Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles, and they, they went across the road trip. Uh, went across America on a, on a road trip and found essentially a group of people and they called them the crew. So I think it's it's funny that today, like we're like crew goals and all this stuff. And <laughs> the crew is actually, was also dubbed, is something that was dubbed from um, uh, that Heaven's Gate used. And anyway, you know, Apple White told his followers many things. He, he said that he was the second coming of Jesus. This is actually something that we hear a lot of in cults. And then that the end of the world was nigh and that God was an alien, which is why they had to ascend because they were going to go be with God. And he encouraged them to give away all their money, cut off contact with their families. FYI, for those of you um, with any kind of psychology knowledge or knowledge on um, regarding uh, abuse, we know that cutting off um, contact with families is a telltale sign of abuse. And um, so he, but that's what they encouraged. And then they were also put on a very specific diet. It was a master cleanse diet of lemonade, cayenne pepper, maple syrup. So, um, but this is not where drinking the Kool-Aid came from. That was a different cult. And in order to, (laughs) but they did it in order to get rid of sexual thoughts. And even eight men volunteered to be surgically castrated. But in March, um, yeah, they don't, they put on their dark outfits and they're matching Nikes, which someone in the, our audience mentioned. 
and they drank vodka and ate applesauce and pudding that contained barbiturates and then placed plastic bags over their heads to suffocate themselves. When police officers entered, they found a line of bodies, each covered with purple fabric. And yeah, it was one of the largest mass suicides in the history of the U.S. And I distinctly remember this because I was I was in college and I was just like, whoa, like what? Like, first of all, huh? But what is crazy to me is that mm, doors down the street is where you have Scientology, which I would argue is also uh, a cult. And um, and you, you have Scientology where they're talking about essentially um, this whole alien starship, you know, origin story. And, um, and then you have Heaven's Gate. So I wonder, you know, how one informed the other. It's just uh, kind of an interesting thing to consider. Did that? I mean, but a lot of crazy things happen in LA. We know this. <laughs> Shout out to LA if you're listening to it. But um, <laughs> yeah, man, like suffocation. Wow, that is a hard, hard way to go out. Wow. But I guess if you're high, it doesn't matter. Um, what else? What else? What else? Then we have um, we have the we have a one that one of one person in our audience was mentioning, which is the uh, the Om Shinrikyo uh, uh, group, which was founded in the '80s by Shoko Asahara in Japan. He claimed to be Christ. Again, we have this theme, and at one point, Garn had tens of thousand followers across the world. And um, his teachings began, they started out spiritual and then they, they became violent. And to the point of um, what Forrest was saying about, you know, um, stretching isn't spirituality. I think a lot of people start in one way and they, and they keep going. So, um, but this became increasingly violent and um, cult, members um, would even like pay to drink his blood. Anywho, in 97, which we're keeping count, it's just two years before um, the uh, Heaven's Gate situation. Um, the members of, of this group left bags filled with toxic nerve agent on three Tokyo train lines during rush hour. And so um, passengers began to choke and throw up and 13 people died. Because of the attack, 5,800 were injured. And as months went by, they, they tried and failed to attack other subway stations with cyanide. Asahara was sentenced to death along with 12 other of his members and seven were executed in July of 2018, including Asahara. And the other six members are still on death row in Japan. Dude. Wow. I'm like, well, like, my thing is this, how do you go from being the spiritual character to let's kill random people on trains? <laughs> Delusion. I just, okay, but imagine you're like one of the tens of thousands of followers, and then you see this happen and you're like, I'm not gonna let anybody know that I was in this cult. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know. Um, Katie is commenting in the, um, in our live uh, stream. She said, maybe she can sell some blood on Etsy for some extra cash. You know, 
maybe Katie. I'm not gonna buy it. <laughs> um, yeah, but talk about being able to inspire people. So one thing that all of these leaders have in common is there's there's always a a um, a charismatic leader. That is the that's one of the telltale things um, that um, people do, and the worst of all time, in my opinion. Do you have your answer, Kim? I have my answer. No. Um, yes, I do. What's your answer? My answer is um, the cult of Hitler. Oh, snap. That was not my answer, but yes. You know, I hadn't thought about the cult of Hitler as a cult, but it certainly was if we look at the definition. Mm-hmm. Damn. First of all, I don't appreciate you because <laughs> I was not prepared. <laughs> okay. Yes, that was, that one's probably the worst. <laughs> okay. So I guess we'll go, well, interestingly, or not too long after that, we've got the people's temple from yeah. which the term drink or the saying drink the Kool-Aid comes from. Yeah, that was, that would have been my, that would be my second. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jim Jones. Wow. Jim Jones and the Guiana Jim, tragedy. Yeah. Jim freaking Jones. So yeah, Jim Jones in 1955 founded the People's Temple in Indianapolis. Um, he grew concerned that a nuclear attack would fall in the area. There's a lot of paranoia also involved in some of these groups. So he moved his congregation to Eureka, California, which he thought would be safer. I would too, like pretty much Eureka, California, is nothing but a bunch of people smoking weed. So, and eating mushrooms, but you know, whatever. But <laughs> paranoia struck again in 1977. And this time it was because people had been drawn to him via the media. So then he moved the People's Temple to Guyana and dubbed it Jonestown. So um, they were there doing the thing and they were there essentially for a year when a US congressman decided to visit their new location and in 1978 and to investigate reports of um, abuse of its members. And while he was there, there, were, there was a shootout and all of these things. And Jones then instructed all of his followers to drink flavor aid laced with cyanide. And over 900 dead bodies were discovered at the settlement, including Jones, who had a bullet wound to his head. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, wow. It's, it, for me, it's sad. It's, it really feels devastating to know that um, as, a, as a society, we have allowed ourselves to become so broken mm -hmm. and, and so, and in so much pain and suffering that we, we that we actually do this stuff to each other mm -hmm. and that we, and that, that those who are the victims of, of what is happening in, in a 
cult that were the cults kind of cults that we're speaking of coercion um use of wounds and tra trauma against oneself um these kinds of control mechanisms by um by someone who is clearly intensely wounded um mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. also very smart and, and also oh, very okay. very smart you know and, if we mm -hmm. Mm -hmm incredibly intelligent and um, understands the the psychology of control to a, a very finite degree and I think I think that there is the there is the element of control and there's also the element of lack of self-awareness mm -hmm. that's happening in 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 all in all the people so there's an element mm -hmm. of control and manipulation from mm -hmm. the leader but then there's also the element of of un, uh, lack of awareness in in the in the leader's followers um well i i do want i want to jump in and just speak to one thing about that which i think is a really important point and that is the the um, the conditioning and programming that we receive as a culture to give our, our power of authority to others that others know better than we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we actually, this whole kind of conversation started with me and some friends because we were looking at the, um, at the, at the Rajneesh, um, at the Rajneesh movement um, which is the movement uh, that turns into, um, uh, or Rajneesh, Bhagwan Rajneesh ends up turning into a rebranding as Osho, who is, who is a person that is still very much respected within the yoga community. And, um, and he was also a cult leader. Um, the, the crazy thing is that um, I think if people just look at um the the difference i was like well what's the difference between like an osho and and someone else like how how does a cult leader become a cult leader especially if that person was you know an a mystic he is referred to as an indian mystic he is not he is not referred to as a cult leader um, he's definitely still referred to as a mystic. He is definitely someone who is still quoted in, in yoga teacher trainings. Uh, his philosophy is still quoted. He still has um, 200,000, or there are still 200,000 people that visit the Osho International Center in uh, Pune, India each year. Um, and, they, and, and he was rebranded as Osho after um, after his stint in the U.S., where there was a, a legitimate uh, community and commune built um, of the sannyasins or orange people that that practiced free love and took part in his meditation and all of that, and they became his followers. And the the crazy thing is, is that if we really if we look at what Osho, um, what the Rajneesh movement looked like which was a, a spiritual community. Um, it was a community of people that were practicing essentially Kundalini yoga. And um, because people were like, oh, but he did these crazy things. We saw Wild Wild Country. And when we're in Wild Wild Country, which is on Netflix, we saw the things and like the people would scream and they do the things and then they dance. I'm like, 
that's kundalini yoga like essentially like where you're doing chants and you're getting things out and you're like using movement as cleanse and you're doing the things but somehow it went from him um kind of being this i know all of the things and you know none of the things and so you need to continue learning from me and i think that that's where the problem begins is where you have someone who is going to say, I have all of the knowledge and you need to follow all of my knowledge. You have none. I think, I think that's the beginning of the cultish mentality. Um, yeah, his just, just to go on to, because we're going to come back to that very topic, Kim, when we talk about how one becomes the other, um, just to speak more to um, the Rajneeshi movement, um, he, you know, this he started pretty early in India. He was well known, but he he began to be at odds with the government there. So he bought a ranch in Oregon. There was nothing on this ranch. Some people who are listening, I know they watched this um, documentary docu series with me, Wild Wild Country, because we were talking about it um, outside of it. And he essentially built this compound, or the, the followers did, they moved with him. Um, it was this uninhabitable plot of land and they wanted to create a utopia. So they built a dam, an airport, electricity, um, the uh, meditation center, uh, Shala, of course. They ended up calling it a name, Russian Um when, when everything was ready, they built gardens and, and all of these things. Um, and they, they built a city essentially and to create their utopia. Um, but uh, of course there was, um, uh, a lot of paranoia going on. There were all the other people around them who were like, these people wear orange, like they're all crazy. A lot of them are immigrants. Some of them are Brown and, um, and people started to, you know, say, we don't want these people here. But it makes me wonder what would have happened if they would have left them alone. Like, would they be? Oh, would they? Would nothing have happened? And so, but of course, they didn't leave them alone. So then they start, you know, putting more um, uh, pressure on on the Rajneesh community and the uh, Rajneesh community. They end up getting bombed. Rajneesh community is like, oh, you're going to bomb us? Then we're going to arm up. They arm up. And so then this series of going back and forth are, begin to happen where someone expresses, you know, uh, a show of force and then they express a show of force. And it just keeps going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth when it started as a community that was trying to create this free love and, and yoga and spirituality community in the middle of nowhere that's how it began and how it ends is with like attempted murders and um, people going to prison and all, all of these things. Mm -hmm. um, it's just to me, it, I just, I don't see the difference between the Rajneesh movement and the Church of Latter-day Saints, except for time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, just mm -hmm. if, if, if mm -hmm. people would have, if they would have been left alone, I think it would have been like a second Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you and think of these, these instances where 
what we're talking about is the other. Yeah. We're really talking about the, the culture of the other. And if the other is deemed um, too different, then we're going to kill it. And that's where we go into polarity and duality mm -hmm. sets mm -hmm. in. And we have, we have war, internal war. Mm -hmm. That's what creates this, this event of, of cult um, mm -hmm. mentality of the Hitlerism. Is, mm -hmm. is there's an internal war in the leader, in the leadership. Yes. Yeah, and there's also in this marginalization, which which we just do. I mean, as humans, um, the marginalization, the 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 otherizing is so prominent. It's such a prominent feature of how we do humanity. Um, and I and I understand where it comes from. Like as a as a historian, I can see you know people had to kind of establish themselves as a community and this is my land and I need to till this land and this is our water and things like that. And, and so these borders end up being, being built to say, this is ours and that is yours. So that there's a, there's a divvying up of resources that works for everyone, I guess. Um, and I, I think that that mentality of, of survival, um, you know, and added to a culture of continual colonizing of other people's lands um, is, is what kind of fuels um, that desire to control and marginalize. You know, if we look at how um, Rome, Rome wrote the playbook on this, on how to otherize other, uh, otherize people by saying, well, if you're Roman, if you're Catholic, you can be Roman. If you're Roman, you get all of these things. You get access to water. You get access to, to all of the Roman, um, Roman citizenship, all of the Roman essentials. You get all of these things. If you're not Roman, you can live amongst us, but you have to pay these taxes. And, you know, so Rome really wrote the playbook on, on otherizing, um, and if we if we go before Rome, we can point to Egypt in that as well, for sure. If we're looking at uh, if we're we're looking at that too, um, I would suggest that our Jewish community would say, "Hey, before Rome, there was Egypt." So um, let me not let me not let Egypt off uh, with so easily. Um, but for sure, there this 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 way of like promoting you get you get to get this if you become one of us. That's the, the main difference between Egypt and Rome is e Egypt was like, yang one of us, period. But <laughs> with Rome, they're like, you get to be a citizen if you do this. And part of doing this was becoming Catholic. And, and then we see how that extended to the rest of the world um, in terms of, of Catholicism anywhere where um, the Spanish were or anyone who were, was a, a, from, from Hispania any, any, anywhere that that touched, that's why there are Catholics all over the world, it was because of that. It was because of a sense of belonging. It was not because of uh, veneration even, uh, or a devotion. It was more of a, a devotion to country or nation. It wasn't devotion to God, actually. And this ends up um, turning into its own thing. Because remember, if we look at the people who were considered a cult actually, um, which were the early Christians, they were not accepted by Rome. 
So the the early Christians and those early ideas of, of God is love and, and love everybody and everyone's equal, that was the cult. That was the cult. And so, but if we, but so, but that the, the bigger, the bigger community actually becomes the, the, the dogmatic and the problematic one. Um, and before, and before we, we, we forget this, we must, must mention, we must mention, um, the Branch Davidians because I saw Waco, um, uh, just a couple of, or a week or so ago, and I'm still shook over this. Because I remember very much, I remember it like it was yesterday, the Waco tragedy, mm-hmm. when, um, the, when the Branch Caridians, Davidians died in that fire. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember the story that was spun from media about it. And I remember mm-hmm. it not sounding right, mm-hmm. but I didn't know why. And here we have a guy. First of all, if you look up the Branch Davidians, you will see this. David Koresh believed that he could talk to God. He also thought that the world was ending. The cult leader managed to convince more than 100 people to move to a compound outside of Waco and follow his teachings, um, which included his belief that men could have multiple wives, including girls as young as 10. First of all, that's not even true. That's not even that's not even true. The Branch Davidians didn't even start with David Koresh. The Branch Davidians are a sect of the Seventh Day Adventists, um, which were founded in the 30s by a man named Victor Hotef, and this is an arm of Christianity. And then and then continued by Ben Roden in 1959. And the whole reason why the Branch Davidians began was because he called for reform of the Seventh-day Adventist church. His ideas were rejected by their leaders. And in 35, he and his followers settled near Waco and began preparing for the second coming. And then his group eventually moved to to a farm, which became in a settlement known as Mount Carmel in 1962. after um, Ben Roden took possession. So the whole story around the Branch Davidians is not even, like if you just look it up, there's still so much lore and otherizing around it that um, it's not even true. Then we, you know, here comes one of the people who arrive at the compound. He's a Seventh-day Adventist. He arrives, Vernon Howell. He arrives in 81. This is 50, almost 50 years after the compound, uh, before, after the Branch Davidians were established, and 20 years after they uh, established at Mount, Mount Carmel, v- Vernon Howe, who is David Koresh, becomes well-received, and, and he has a series of sexual liaison and all of these things. He ends up having an affair with um, Lois Roden, who's Ben Roden's wife, and they're like, going to go have a child who's the chosen one. Okay, so there's a little bit of, you know, whatever going on in this. Um, David Koresh essentially turns into the leader of this group after challenging um, her son or Ben Roden's son to leading the group. And this this challenge between them leads to um, problems raising the dead, um, which uh, 
uh, is what got the Branch Davidians onto the FBI's radar um, because they tried to raise a dead, exhume a, a corpse to show like how he could raise the dead. Anyway, this getting because they were in the system, um, they ended up becoming uh, the uh, a target later on when um, when they ended up when the ATF ended up receiving um, information. And uh, this is the M the ammo. What is the ATF ammo? I forget the T part. Tobacco and firearms. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> ammo, mm -hmm. tobacco and firearms um, group found out that they had all this ammo with them, which by the way, they had because there was internal strife. So anyway, so they find out that they have all this ammo and bada bing, bada bomb, there ends up being this giant standoff between um, David Koresh and um, and the ATF, which ends up with, on day one, nine people dying, four ATF agents, five Branch Davidians, and on day 851, 76 dying um, from from a fire that was started at the compound, which included women and children who were trying to get out and not trying to commit mass suicide. So there, there, there are all of these, there's all this lore around, um, around cults, even if you just look at what happened and, it, and, and it's a lie. Um, you have people who just believe differently. They go live out in the country and establish themselves somewhere and then, and, and maybe they're doing amazing things. Maybe they're doing horrible things. All I know is that in 2020, major, uh, one third of the religious communities in the world venerates a girl who at 13 had a child by an entity that was either a ghost or God or whatever. And, and she was 13. So according to our current standards, she can't give, she can't give consent. And we're, we, and you have people who are venerating a 13 year old girl named Mary giving birth to Jesus and using those same, that same rationale to be, to demonize people who have their own, their own ways of thinking about the world, including sometimes giving birth to children when they're teenagers. Now, I'm not saying that I'm here for either one of those things. I'm not here for a 13 year old giving birth to anybody because I agree that she can't give consent. But what I am saying is that if we're gonna sit here and venerate and devote to give devotion to Mary by one third of the world's religious people, then we, then those, how are you, how are we also going to sit here and say, well, but um, David Koresh had a 13 year old wife and therefore he is a child abuser. I, I, I can't, I can't get behind that. <laughs> I just think it's otherizing, but, but that's me. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's me. And as I mentioned, Kim will be the higher vibration person on this. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It's, you know, it's so convoluted when we, when we decide to decide for others. Mm. 
Yes. And that's, that's what all of this boils down to. Yes. Is, is making, is determining what we believe others should and should not be doing. Yes. And if we, if we step into our own sovereignty mm. and, and we, we stay in that space, mm -hmm. I, I am a sovereign being and what is mine to, to work with, what's mine to decide to judge or not to judge um, is, is my choices, my actions and my words and what someone other than me is doing, they have a right to be doing whatever they are choosing to create. I love your higher, um, your high, higher vibration um, statement of authority and autonomy. And if that doesn't resonate with people, then you can use my lo low vibration statement of autonomy, which is, that ain't got shit to do with me. That's it. <laughs> That's it, right? That's my business. That's my material. They're choosing to create in the way they're creating. It doesn't resonate with me, but they have a right to be exploring that facet of being human. And guaranteed, if we just love one another, and are compassionate and gentle with one another, if that compassion is more true and more strong, and I believe that compassion is always stronger than its opposite. If it is, if it is, if it's something that people have access to, then they will lean into that compassion. And if that compassion is the opposite of what they're experiencing, then they will they will lean away from that which is not compassion. But for sure, we have, if we are just saying what you believe is stupid, wrong, like your you know, cult is, this is ridiculous, blah, 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 then nobody is gonna walk away from that situation because what they're in is better than what they're running away from or what they're not in. And, and I think that that is the biggest, um, learning for me is that for me and my life, um, and I, and I am a, I ascribe to Christianity and my life is informed by, um, ancestral practices and thoughts, um, as an African-American woman. Um, my thing is this, I, I think that the reason why I'm okay with being in the Christian church is because my mother was always really honest about her rationale and being in it, which was she chose it for herself. She didn't grow up in church. And then also she was really honest when she saw fuckery in the church. So like, I remember we went to a mega church and she was like, there's something wrong here, we're leaving. And it was like from one moment to the next. And I was like, whoa, like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. Turns out later the guy was embezzling money from the congregation. Um, and there is still a cult of personality around him. This is Bob Tilton, who still today is still on TV asking people for money and getting it. And, um, and uh, I just remember that as, a, as my exposure. And then I, I remember um, 
and then I, I went away from the church and then I, I started looking at theology and, and theology made sense to me from a, a thinker's point of view. And I came back to it when I, I chose it for myself. Um, and it was, it was under a totally different church as well. It was within the Episcopal church because the Episcopal church allowed for people to actually think and make decisions and question and didn't have to arrive at any answers. So like if I talked to a priest and I was like, I have questions about this, then my priest would say something like, well, what do you think about that or whatever? And not like, well, the answer is this, you know? <laughs> and I was like, huh, I have like my own, I get to be my own sovereign person. With There you go. This. There you go. You get to be right. You get to, you get to make your own choices. And if your choice if your decision and your choice doesn't align with the, the person at the head of the, of the class or the chapel mm -hmm. or the whatever, if it doesn't align, you still get to be included. Yes. Which is actually one of the things that, um, that, uh, psychiatrist, uh, Robert J. Lifton, he was a, he's a psychiatrist from, uh, and a far former, uh, Harvard Medical School professor, he said that there are three characteristics um, essentially of uh, cult for, in his paper, Cult Formation. And that is one, there's a charismatic leader. Mm -hmm. um, two, there's a process of indoctrination or education. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and three, there is economic, sexual, and other exploration, exploitation of the group. Um, and, and that second one, that indoctrination, when it's like, you're not allowed to, to, to think outside of this, that's for him, that's the definition of the cult is when, or that's the, that's the, that not for him, sorry, for me, that's the distance between like where certain religious groups are cult are cultish or our cults in the pejorative sense of the word and the negative sense of the word versus being um, a, a spiritual community. And, and, I, I, and, and I think it's important now for us to really talk about, you know, those folks in conscious communities, oftentimes coming out of yoga communities, yoga communities that are like, oh, let's gather around, let's talk about our feelings and let's um, and let's create this community, and and there's always kind of the same leader of the community. There there aren't a lot of people who are outside of that community informing that community, and and so even though it's not an absolute authoritarianism, for sure for me at least looking in, I'm like, hmm, it seems like these people are the leaders. And all the leaders look, dress, and act alike. That's a problem for me already. <laughs> when I'm looking at a group, this this part of the podcast, which is the the last part of the podcast, could be how to avoid being <laughs> in a conscious community that is actually a cult. Okay, <laughs> for me, if the leaders are all the same gender, I'm 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 wary. If the if there are leaders if the leaders look, dress, and speak alike, that's a problem for me. I already don't trust it. <laughs> I don't trust it. Okay. Well, yeah, I wanna just jump in and say, uh, 
you know, my big question goes off Bing, I'm always the detective. And my big question says, why don't you just why don't you trust it? And one possible answer to that, that I can offer is you don't trust it because they've stripped away your inner authority. Yes. Yes, because that means that they, they're all knowing and I mm -hmm. am now their disciple. Mm -hmm. And that whole that whole discipleship thing is very problematic for me. Yes, it is. Because, because if we are all on the journey of evolving, if we're all enlightening, if we're all learning, then that means we're all disciples and we're all apostles all at the same time. There's right. not one person who is the the head of all of the knowledge, one Messiah who is then who everyone then else or even a plural Messiah, you know, where these these guys are the ones who know everything and everyone else is elite. And and I definitely see it if it's if the head in air quotes of the group is men and all of the followers are women, that's an even bigger red flag for me. I'm definitely not gonna put, I'm not gonna open my energy to that because I don't, I don't, my, my higher evolved person is saying there is definitely some control happening here. Now it might be people giving their control away or it might be someone taking control, but I do not trust that. Um, and that is, and that comes from a very gut place. Um, there is, um, I, I don't remember where I got this, but um, there is an article that discussed when cults become dangerous. And it's that absolute authoritarianism without meaningful accountability, no tolerance for questions or critical inquiry. That again, that just like what you were saying, that lack of, uh, autonomy is, is, is becomes a thing. Um, no meaningful financial disclosure, unreasonable fear about the outside world. Actually, I saw this in a conscious community recently where someone was saying there are all of these things that are happening and like this sense of impending catastrophe, impending doom, evil conspiracies and all of this. And I was like, mm -mm. like I immediately went, ooh, ooh, that, you know, red flag. Um, Corey is weighing in here and he said, there are a lot of people that give their power away. I absolutely, absolutely just giving their power away. Like if yeah. power were stock, <laughs> like stock would be down. Right. <laughs> and, and I want to, I want to just say one thing about that. Mm -hmm. And, and the, and the, the reason that I see for that is because we've been trained to, yes. This is conditioning and programming that we are we are evolving out of. Mm. That is exactly where we are as as a species. We're evolving out of the conditioning and programming that tells us to give our power away. Yeah, and I think that we know that we're evolving in the we're evolving instead of devolving if there's not fear around that. Mm -hmm. So like you there are conscious communities that are like we're evolving and there are these dark um, powers at work that are trying to, and I'm like, uh, once I don't think the universe speaks in the language of fear, that's a very human response. And so this whole impending doom, the evil, all those things I think are coming from people who are looking to colonize our thoughts. Yes, and, they are. And it's happening so much right now from, 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 
conscious communities. There's a community on Instagram that is about, that's like a, an empowering black, it's meant to empower the black community. And I, and I've recently just been looking at it. I looked at it again, looked at it, I started following it, looked at it, looked at it. And then I realized, no, what they're doing is they're bemoaning everything non-African. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that there is no, um, there, the, I don't believe the universe speaks in black people and white people or Asian people or Latino people, Latinx people. The universe is like, this is all energy. Like this is all energy. We're all one, we're all one family. We're all one, we're all one, you know, this is, we're all one uh-huh. period. Uh-huh. So when you start saying everything black is good and everything white or European is bad, you've already lost me because I already know that you're coming from a place of fear, a place of scarcity, and it is just in, in a place of untruth. Yes, we're all tied together as a collective. Corey chimed in with these beautiful work. Corey, why haven't you called in? Because you're spitting some knowledge right now. Um, we're all in this as one collective. And when there is fear and catastrophe and all that, to me, that is that is cultish. And that is that is trying to create this otherizing of perhaps the majority, right? It doesn't, it doesn't legitimize the minority community mm-hmm. to otherize the majority community. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> Tamika, we could say that we have all been, or, or most of us, I won't say all, uh, that, that most of humanity has been a member of the cult of fear. Yes, and we are waking up out of that. That's what yes. we're doing. Yes. And we've also, as humanity, we've also, we are in our lineage has been a part of either, um, either the community that was oppressing or being oppressed and using mm-hmm. fear to create more mm-hmm. cults. And both, both of those sides have their role to play in, in duality. Right. And because we're I think moving it, into we're moving into unification out of duality. Yes, yes. Because I think for me, even though like I speak about colonial hangover and mm-hmm. ancestral trauma, and that's something mm-hmm. that's really important to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't see it as a reason to demonize one community over and and at and adore or laud another community. I think what it is about is about being a seeker of truth and being able to identify those dualities, identify the, identify the binaries and identify, like identify, okay, this was the past, this is the present. And this is the, this is how the present has been informed by the past. And this is what I choose for myself instead Mm -hmm. of choosing um, things that were forced upon my particular community. Mm -hmm. It's not about, it's not about saying this community is bad. Therefore, I have to get into and lock myself into this other community that has nothing to do with this previously oppressive community. It's about saying this community has used oppressive tactics to try to impose itself, its beliefs, its thoughts, its patterning on me. And what I choose is to create my own definitions, to individuate, to step into my own power, to know that I have choice. Because some of those communities will say, well, if you're a Christian, 
And then you're not, you're not, uh, you're not uh, acknowledging any of African ancestral um, lineage. And I'm like, that's, that's bullshit. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is that African-Americans would not exist without, without colonialism. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there it, it is. Like we wouldn't mm -hmm. exist. So, I mean, it's not, it's not about what was good or what is bad. It's not about otherizing. It's not about when we try to tie identity or a cult of personality to a religion or religious practice, or that's when we're, we're creating another cult. And that, yeah. that is then, is then pushing out everyone else. The, and the authority becomes blackness or the authority becomes David Koresh or the authority mm -hmm. becomes, you know, whatever is the Messiah of that mm -hmm. group. And you know what you're, I love what you're talking about. And um, so I'll just kind of explain it from an energetic perspective, what you're, what you're talking about. And so, so the, the whole um, like in a nutshell, what we're talking about is individuation Mm -hmm. Right. And so you're you're talking about the, the duality, staying in the duality. And so if we come from the, the zero point field, from the point of creation, from consciousness, and we 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 emerge from that, we emerge into the second dimension. That's that's this zero point field of the first dimension. There's one point. We emerge out of that into duality. And what that is, is a field of experimentation. It's the second dimension of energetic exchange. And then what happens is we, we emerge into this field of experimentation of exactly what you're talking about, which is experimenting in giving up your power, taking your power back, being at war, being at peace, right? All of these things have polar opposites. That's duality. And, and it's we, the human experience. And it, it is part of the human experience, I think. And so where we are, right, as a culture is there. And, mm -hmm. and we've moved from there into the third dimension of integration. We mm -hmm. move out of duality. We move into integration and we say, oh, look, I've created all of this. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take ownership of my creation. I am not have nothing is happening to me. I am creating it. Mm hmm. And then, so we're in the third dimension of the physical world that we all exist in. And then we, what we need, where we are now moving from and where this pause that we're in is giving us the opportunity to do is to move from the third dimension into the fourth dimension of transcendence. And when you transcend, you move into non-attachment. Mm -hmm. none, of, none of what I created is mine. It's all part of the singularity of consciousness. It's all part of the zero point field. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then where we move from there, and this is a big leap energetically, and we're not, we're, some of us are moving there. Some of us are not, we're all in all of these dimensions at the same time and, and, and not, but where we go from transcendence in the fourth dimension is we move above into the fifth dimension of unification back into oneness, back into a perspective of all life. Yes. An in, in inclusion of all 
all difference because then you can see that I am part of that singularity. I'm just a piece of consciousness experimenting with life. Absolutely. And, it, and, and you can have that and you can have religion and you can have identity and you can have a culture. I think that you can have, you don't have to give everything. I don't think you have to, I, I think it's, it's almost a spiritual bypassing to try to say, I, I have to give up or I, I don't, I don't have to identify. I think identifying with things and giving up cultural practices or whatever are, are different. Like I, I, I think that you can be a religious person and you can, and you can transcend. And I think you can be a non-religious person and you can transcend. But I yes. think that a, a lot of people would argue that, well, the, the problem is that every religion is a cult. And therefore, if you're religious, you're already giving up your power. You're already giving up your opportunity to individuate. And I, and I don't, I don't believe that that's a true, that that's true. I believe that you can, you can speak the language of the understandings and the leanings of your of the framework of however you were raised or whatever you believe. I think that you get to speak that language and understand that there are other languages. And then I think the transcendence is understanding that language is a construct and that actually everyone is just sharing you know, and that everyone is just expressing that mm -hmm. as, when you strip away language, you just come down to expression. Mm -hmm. But like when you have people who I think are equally um, not helpful saying that, for example, like atheism is the path to transcendence, I would, I would argue, um, I would just cite the cult of reason um, as, <laughs> as, you know, in the, in the 18th century, as Francis first established state-sponsored athe atheism. And, and it also was a problem. It also became another cult. And I think that when you're looking at trying to, trying to make people say the only way that you can have reason and liberty, freedom, um, the only way that you can, you can be natural or victorious or whatever, is by being X, I think that you're already like taking that opportunity of transcendence away because you're, you're just thinking that it is, it only operates within a particular system. And the truth is, is that the system is just a figment of our imagination, but it's also a, but it's also an expression of, of the, of our lived experience right now. And there's yes, nothing wrong with that lived experience. No, no. And, and so I would say to that, that person who says um, atheism is the, the path to transcendence, I would say, yes, you're completely correct. And so is Judaism. So is Jainism. So is Christianity. So is non-binary non um, uh, identification as self. So mm -hmm. is choosing to live in a particular place. They're all the path to transcendence. Mm -hmm. All of the it is. All of every path is legitimate. 
And the minute we try to pave a path or make people follow a particular path, notice I said make people follow a particular path, not embrace people who follow a particular path. But when we try to make people follow a particular path, we are trying to be the Messiah of that person. Right. We've taken away their their authority. Yeah. And if you look at like at least what we what we've read and what we know about um, Jesus, Buddha, um, um, Muhammad, um, well, if we look at well, maybe not Muhammad, but but for sure. Um, some some other characters in history, and yes, probably Muhammad too. I would and, and Moses. You know, they weren't like, "Hey, I am right, <laughs> you are all wrong, and um, and you must." Well, there is some argument to that, but <laughs> I will say before I even finish my sentence, there is some there is some things that I, I think that the way that their words were written and and given to and handed down to people might suggest that they were like, do this, follow me, and this is the path. But I think that the truth of those people and the reason why a lot of their teachings have persisted is because of their overall message of, of, of transcendence, their overall message of, of, of love the overall that's message it. of community and, that's and, and that's it. And like whatever, what, whatever was self-preservation at the time, I think was self-preservation at the time, which is important, why it's important to look at religious texts within the auspices of history. But when we're, when we're looking at, you know, like do this or, or this is the right way and everyone else dies or everyone that's else doesn't belong. Yeah. That's not judgment. It's judgment, right? And mm-hmm. when we when we move from the third dimension into the fourth dimension, we we are necessi- necessarily leaving behind judgment of anything. Yeah. Judgment of, right? Yes. Just that's being. What, that's it. Just being and being in community with, and I think that this is why it's so easy for for me to have. Not to say that I have transcended. Um, I, in fact, my my Instagram handle is Diva Transcending, and it was that even before I even thought about what transcendence actually was and the way that you're looking at it, um, which I think is quite interesting. But anyway, um, for me, I think the reason why I'm able to have so many people from so many different religions and belief systems and all of that around me is because at our core, we to see each other as people on this journey um, of, of, of evolution, this journey of experience and um, just don't take it all so seriously, but rather are able to just have an experience with one another and um, and learn from one another because ultimately I think ever every relationship is an energetic exchange and certainly if we're looking at yoga philosophy that would be the same argument um, and if we're all energetically exchanging then that means that we have something to learn from every single human on the planet even the ones we don't like so right, right. so yeah and when we get when we get to understand that we are all facets of the same thing, mm-hmm. having our own unique individual experiences, and they're all valid. 
Yes, absolutely. And so I just, you know, I hope that for you guys who are listening, that you might reconsider um, using this term cult so pejoratively. Yes, there are people, there are the Jim Joneses of the world. There are the, there are the, you know, there are the people who would have people drink, quote, drink the Kool-Aid, you know. But I, I also believe that, the, and there are people who are horrible, horrible people, like the children of God people who were absolutely like abusing children, young children and promoting that and all of those things. But I, I don't, I don't think that it is helpful to sit there and say, oh, that is a cult and they do those things. I think was actually more helpful is to say, those are, those are people who are abusive people who are abusing other people and have managed to convince other people to follow them. I think that is actually um, more helpful because all religions were a cult at some point. <laughs> so yeah. just saying, you know, this is a cult and this isn't um, is not, it's not how we create compassion in the world. It's just how we seed division. And I do not believe, and I can, I think you would agree that it's impossible for us to ascend divided. No, it's in, it's completely it it's impossible, right? And so, if we all come into the circle of compassion, and compassion is it is not a concept; it is an energy. Mm. It's an energy, and the location of compassion in your energy field is mm -hmm. one foot in front of your heart, mm. in the in the emotional layer of your energetic field that's mm. the that is the location of compassion if you look at the dalai lama he almost always has his hands in the space of compassion when he's speaking almost always hmm. because that is the energy that he resonates with that's why that's why when you can when you have an emotion and you have a, a feeling of oneness, you put your hands in right in yoga. Where do we put our hands? Right in front of our hearts. We put our hands in front of our hearts because we're putting our hands in the space of compassion and, mm -hmm. and compassion is kindness in action. And I think that there are going to always be those people who use other people's lack of awareness and use other people's lack of autonomy and lack of self-understanding and lack of, um, of self-love because they, they didn't learn love maybe from their parents or they didn't, they didn't, they haven't had a good experience with love. Um, they haven't had a good understanding of what compassion is or self or what autonomy is. So they're still in the process of learning that there will always be those people who take advantage of those people. And I think that there will always as well, um, be the opportunity to the, be the example of compassion to people so that there's a less of a likelihood of people following someone who is going to be hurtful for them. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and may the culture that we all create be a culture of compassion. If we have to, if we have to create a cult, may it be the cult of compassion. Or there we go. I'm in. 
<laughs> you know, but ultimately that that's and and the and so what we will venerate and what we will devote our lives to is compassion. I'm here for that. Um, but you know, I, I just I just I hope that for those of you listening, that you guys will will re, will reconsider. You know how we use those terms, how we are using our own internalized racism, internalized colonialized ways of colonial hangover, internalized ways of being and hatred, our own projections to create this language that's really detrimental for people who are truly just seeking community. So how we use those words to, to reach out to people really matters. Um, and if you've not learned anything, please just learn this. We've all, we're all in this together. And, um, and may we all just create this culture of compassion. Hmm. And, and right, and, and where does that begin? It begins with self-compassion. Yeah. Having compassion for ourselves having compassion for the part of us that's hurt or suffering, the part of us that we don't necessarily, um, we don't necessarily uh, want to accept. Yeah. Right. Or our show. Own, our own or fear, show. our own yeah. hurt, our own whatever yeah. is inside of us. We're, we're all, we're yeah. all that. And so self-compassion, I have, I have saying, I have so much compassion for myself. I've really, I, there's part of me that's really struggling mm -hmm. and I have compassion for that part of me. I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of it. I want to have compassion for the part of me that's suffered. Yes. And if we, if we do, if we have compassion for ourselves, we'll have compassion for others. That's it. And we will not, but if we don't, we won't. And so I think that the choice is really, really clear when we really start looking at our language regarding other people. If we wanna know how we truly feel about ourselves, all we have to do is look at our language regarding other people. That's there the biggest <laughs> That's the biggest indicator as to how you feel about yourself. Yep, and there it is. Not what we actually say to other people about how we feel about ourselves, but what we actually project, that's the truth. And, um, or maybe they're both part of the truth, but I think that we, if we do that, then we will build a more compassionate world. And perhaps there are things um, that we can still learn from these communities um, that have been demonized in the past. I, I know for me personally, there are still lessons that are teachings of Osho that I still, I can still, I still am learning from. His exegesis of the Yoga Sutras is phenomenal. And, um, and for me, that's, that's something that I can learn. Am I going to follow everything that he says? Absolutely not. But I can still, there's something, there's a learning in there, especially a, le a learning of what I don't want, a learning of what I do want, you know, all those things that, that we can learn um, from people. Um, and they're, they're, they're just, they're opportunities to learn also about how we have a tendency as humans to try to control other people. If we look at, you know, the way that Jim Jones was, if we look at the way that David Berg from the Children of God was, you know, um, how we use, you know, sex to, to recruit people into our ways of thinking or how we don't. That's, that's, that's something that the, the Children of God or the Family International still does to date. So, I mean, these are things that we can, we can learn about um, 
and we can learn more about humanity if we're not so busy um, prosecuting them in our own minds and and in our own hearts. We can just learn from that, and we can we can learn from that someone else's lived experience without having to live it ourselves, and and send compassion there as we continue to send compassion for ourselves. So yeah, those are my thoughts on all of it um, from my unpopular um, opinion on cults and <laughs> and also um, just in general, just um, thoughts on transcendence and on community and compassion, I think have been um, really interesting from our audience that was, um, that was our, our live stream audience or our audience that was um, typing in questions and comments. And then of course, also from you, Kim, um, you always bring this element of, of, um, of compassion to this show. And then you also always, always bring it back to the, um, bring it back to the concepts of energy because that's, that's what we are. And so it's so, it's so wonderful having you on whenever you're here. So thank you again for, um, your contribution to the show. Thank you for co-hosting with me. If you guys missed any part of the show, um, I will be reposting it um, on the Podbean forum and it will um, show up on Podbean and it'll also show up on uh, Spotify and anywhere else that you, you um, listen to podcasts. This, uh, this is again, uh, Think, Flow, Grow. I am Tamika Kasten-Miller. I was joined today by Kim Pence, the, uh, the creatrix of the Kindness Sanctuary, uh, an online community uh, that will be turning into a brick and mortar soon that is all about elevating kindness in oneself, which will then elevate kindness in the world. And Ashe Yoga is dedicated to the um, to the return uh, of of ourselves to ourselves through creativity and self empowerment, and we use uh, yoga, art, meditation, um, and and uh, connection to nature to do all of those things. If you'd like to know more about myself or Kim Pence, I'll put more of that information inside of the the information regarding the show so that you can follow and we can follow you back and we can just get to know one another to help um, create a conscious community that is loving and um, yeah, and helps the world. So thank you again so much. Thank you, Kim. You have many thank yous also coming in from our little live feed. So thank you, Kim, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tamika. It's always such a joy to to create with you. I'm so grateful. Oh, the gratitude is definitely shared and quantified. <laughs> and thank you guys uh, who participated in the live thread. Thank you again so much. If Peace, love, and light to you all. It's my goal to leave you better than I found you. I hope that happened for you today, guys. Namaste.